Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's live 2020 election coverage, focusing on what organized labor is doing throughout the United States to ensure all votes are counted and labor's voice is heard. Reporting will be based on contributions from our national network of members. Views expressed do not represent official positions of the network. The Labor Radio Podcast Network has over 70 labor-focused shows in four countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. You can follow the conversation with the hashtag LaborRadioPod, where we are broadcasting working people's voices 24 hours a day. All right. Thank you, Evan. We are live. This is the Labor Radio Podcast Network. I'm Chris Garlock with Union City Radio in Washington, D.C., uh, we got a very full program ahead for the next three hours, but first of all, let's introduce all of our co-anchors for tonight's broadcast, and uh, in no particular order, I'm just going to go around uh, uh, the screen as I see folks. Uh, we can have folks introduce themselves and their shows and where they are from. So, David Story, why don't you go ahead? Hey, good evening. My name is David Story with the Valley Labor Report. We are out of the big metropolis of Huntsville, Alabama. All right, welcome, David. Uh, Jeremy, you're next. I'm Jeremy Waugh, host of the Break Time Breakdown out of Louisville, Kentucky. All right. And in, in, in association with the uh, Sheet Metal Worker, uh, Local 110, Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation. Smart, all right, That's thank correct. you. Brother Gene. This is Gene Lance from the Workers' Beat in Dallas, Texas. And Texas just had a big breakthrough in the, the federal court today when the Republicans tried to suppress 127,000 votes from Houston, and they failed. Well done, Texas. You may not be blue yet, but you're definitely looking kind of purple, so good for you. All right, we'll come back and talk more about that in just a second. Sister Bama. Hi, Bama Athrea here in Washington, D.C., the center of crazy these days. I am the host of the Gig Podcast. Got that right. Well, things are going to probably get crazier before the week is out, but uh, we, we, we can handle that. We're used to that here in D.C., so thank you, Bama. All right, moving right along, uh, go, jumping across the country up to uh, the, the uh, great Northwest. Shannon, you're up. Hola, everybody. I'm Shannon Myers, and I am co-host of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, which is Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada. And uh, it's the other Washington, or, or we're the other Washington. Oh, 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 oh. We're the original <laughs> Vancouver and the only Washington State. Okay. Well, we're working on that here in D.C., but we're not. Well, yes, you are. So, I hope you can work that out. <laughs> thanks for leading on that. Thanks for leading that. And, and uh, next to you uh, on my screen, and as it happens uh, in, in real life with your podcast, is, is Harold. Yeah, I'm Harold Phillips. I'm the co-host of Working to Live with, in Southwest Washington with Shannon. Something Shannon didn't mention is that she is the president of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council who produces our podcast. And uh, we've been very involved in the election up here. So got a lot to report from this corner of the U.S. 
Well, thanks for your podcast. Uh, I know I know a lot more about what's going on up in your corner thanks to your podcast. So good work on that. All right, jumping down next up, Patrick. Good evening. This is Patrick Dixon. I'm one of the producers of the Labor History Today podcast, and I'm coming to you from Arlington, Virginia. And I think I'm the only person on this call who won't be voting in this election <laughs> because I'm not a citizen, and that's your only excuse. Fair enough, fair enough. We should also point out that Virginia uh, used to be a pretty red state, then it turned uh, purple, and now Northern Virginia, where Patrick is, is pretty darn blue. So, well done. All right. Uh, also, uh, here in the metro area, Alan, you're up. Uh, good evening, everybody. I'm Alan Weirdak. I'm a co-producer of the Labor History Today podcast um, here in technically I'm in Olney, Maryland, um, so Montgomery County, just outside of D.C. All right, good to have you here. Ah, and another one here in the metro area, Tanya. Tanya Hutchins, the host of Activate Live, which is the show that is produced by the Machinist Union in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Uh, but I'm joining you from my home in Washington, D.C. All right, Tanya, very good. Uh, Nicole, we're gonna come to you in just a second. Uh, let's go back up to, and on my screen anyway, to uh, brother Evan Papp, our executive producer, and uh, just sort of man with the, the man with the plan, hopefully. Thanks, Chris. Uh, my name's Evan Papp, and I'm a, the executive producer for Empathy Media Lab, and we're focusing on labor, political economy, arts and culture, and uh, trying to help uh, share a lot of videos tonight and tomorrow and the next day. So thanks for joining. Excellent. Uh, before we go to our first guest, just a couple of quick sort of news check-ins. Um, Shannon, you were uh, sharing some, some news from, from your area uh, just before we went on the air. So do you want to cover that? Yeah, um, we are actually trying to just let people know that um, be careful when you're out voting. We have had some cases of voter intimidation uh, in the southwest corner of our state. Um, now, this is not everywhere, but there are going to probably be patches of areas in Washington state that may encounter voter intimidation. And, and honestly, what that means is people parking their trucks by ballot boxes, uh, because here in Washington state, we have all mail-in voting, postage paid, uh, and they even get counted 21 days after election day. But a lot of people still like to return those ballots uh, via ballot box. So don't be intimidated. Uh, drop off that ballot. And one thing that I suggest, actually, our assistant uh, uh, Vancouver police chief, Vancouver, Washington police chief, suggested bring a buddy, bring mm -hmm. a friend. Mm -hmm. Right? So everybody get your ballot buddy if you're going to the box and make sure you have it in by 8 p.m. tomorrow, election day. Hey Chris, I should probably also add that to the south of us in Oregon, there was a report of some intimidation that happened in Springfield in Southern Oregon where armed people actually blocked access to a ballot box. Mm. That's being investigated right now by Springfield police. Down in Oregon, they have to have their ballots in by 8 p.m. on election day. It's not like mm -hmm. it is up here where it just has to be postmarked. So down there, Oregonians have to use the ballot box at this point. It's too late for their ballots to be delivered. Gotcha. Um, 
So, uh, Evan, I'm going to come to you for the uh, Trumka video in just a second before we go to our first guest. So if you can cue that up, that would be great. Um, but look, we are seeing these reports of these various, you know, some of it is, is clearly intimidation. Some of it, I think, is just people screwing around uh, and doing something that's very easy to drive around with your flags flying and your big pickup truck. Um, but, you know, the problem is that it can very easily shade into other kinds of things. Uh, Patrick, you were just sharing about shots being fired, I think, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's something that folks need to be uh, aware of. And it's been very clear from what I've been hearing is that all of the law enforcement folks are like, you know, intimidation will not be tolerated. Um, so what I'm hearing from you guys is make sure that people are being careful and reporting this stuff, right? Okay. All right. Um, we're going to come to our first guest, uh, Nicole Moore, in just a second. But uh, Evan, I believe, has queued up uh, a video from uh, Rich Trump, the president of the AFL-CIO, that I just want to uh, go ahead and run for folks. Uh, and, and then, uh, Bama, you will be up after that. So, Evan, if you would, let's go ahead and roll that. I'm Richard Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO. Four years ago, after working our hearts out for his opponent, but coming up short, I made a promise to do everything I could to find common ground with Donald Trump. I made that promise in fidelity to the union members who voted for Trump and the working people whose lives and livelihoods depended on him. I was ready to work with Donald Trump, but Donald Trump refused to work with us. He broke his promises on infrastructure and manufacturing. The jobs he said were coming back never came. His tax cut for the ultra-rich accelerated the outsourcing of good-paying American jobs and worsened inequality. And during the COVID-19 crisis, his failed leadership cost too many of us our lives and livelihoods. And his disregard for workplace health and safety has been dangerous and very deadly. There are fewer federal health and safety inspectors today than at any point in history. See, working peoples deserve a leader who will focus on we the people and not just the person they see in the mirror. Only former Vice President Joe Biden can be that president. Joe supports the PRO Act, which will create a fairer process for forming a union. Joe supports the HEROES Act, to protect our paychecks and pensions and public services during this pandemic. Joe understands America cannot go back to business as usual, back to an economy fueled by inequality and indifference. See, it's time to build back better, to create millions of good paying jobs, union jobs, to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, to ensure the future is made in America and union made. And to finally have a plan to beat COVID-19 and rebuild our economy so it works for all of us. And you know what? Joe knows that workplace safety is more than a policy. It's a promise to our loved ones that we will return home at the end of a hard day's work. 
Joe Biden gets something Donald Trump never will. Workers will never quit on America, but our president must never quit on workers. Every day, in every way, we've served, we've sacrificed, we've healed, we've done it all. We've honored the country we love, the country unions built. Our choice in this election is between division and darkness or rebuilding America and restoring her promise. We're writing America's comeback story and Joe Biden will help us begin a new chapter. Vote for our movement, vote for our country, vote for Joe Biden, the working person's friend. All right, that of course, Rich Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO. All right, for our first guest, I'm, I'm really pleased. This is an issue that frankly, uh, until I was uh, reviewing some of our labor uh, radio podcast network shows, uh, like that of The Gig, which is Obama's uh, show, I did not know about this proposition in California, uh, although I was born in California, so I should have been paying more attention, so sorry about that. But uh, Bama, why don't you go ahead and, and set this up and uh, take it away. All right, terrific. Well, I'm really pleased to introduce our first guest for today's show, Nicole Moore, who is an extraordinary organizer coming to us from Rideshare Drivers United in Los Angeles, California. And Nicole, thank you so much for being with us. I know you guys have been super busy doing actions, calling, texting, trying to get out the vote. And I gotta, I'm gonna start by saying, you know, I hear even from activist friends of mine, they're like, oh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have to be worried, too worried about voting. We're in a blue state. I mean, California is as progressive as they come. Tell us why it is so important for people to pay attention to the ballot this year. Well, here in California, we've been in a fight for a couple years to, uh, uh, I'm a part-time Lyft driver, and I've been working with a bunch of other drivers to really work to figure out how to get fair pay and a voice on the job, you know, the whole thing. And because we were misclassified as independent contractors, and, you know, we, we, don't, we don't look like independent contractors at all. We're totally controlled by an algorithm, which is the same as a boss. And uh, so uh, we've been fighting for our rights, and and uh, wouldn't you know it, um, when they passed AB5, which uh, pa you know, pa codified the Dynamics decision and gave us the ABC uh, test for employment, uh, pretty much it's, it's cut and dry. Uh, drivers and delivery workers that are deployed by app are employees under California law. So the app companies decided to fight back, um, you know, in kind of a last ditch effort. Well, let's just change the labor law that, that applies to us. And they've created basically a second class uh, category of, of work in, in what's called Prop 22. And that's on the November uh, ballot, which I keep saying November, it's tomorrow. <laughs> and so, you know, we're on the edge of our seats uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, we know that an NLRB, that is a uh, Trump administration, is not going to help us uh, get our rights. Uh, but we definitely are not going to be helped by this second class 
um, form of labor law, which puts us in a category where we can't organize, where we're going to be making more than uh, less than minimum wage and not have access to the basic, uh, you know, benefits that you have as an employee in our state. So, um, you know, we we started as kind of a ragtag crew a couple of years ago, of about 400 drivers. Uh, we've built in the last two years an organization of 19,000 drivers in three chapters across the state. And we really um, have very little, um, but we are, you know, fighting uh, a very, you know, to keep everybody principled in this. This is not a time to sell out, uh, you know, um, working people, um, you know, our labor rights. So this is a time that we have to move forward. We have to lift the bar for all workers and to let this compromise because, uh, you know, Lyft and Uber are innovative companies. It's, it's just not true. Yeah. We go out okay. there let's, every day. Nicole, let's for break the this let me, yeah, let me get sure. you to break this down into pieces so people can just digest what you're saying. Because again, I think people think, oh, well, you know, California, we got good politicians. So just <laughs> breaking it down, you know, quickly, you, we've got an election tomorrow. And in yeah. California, you have something that some of us in other parts of the country don't have to worry about. You've got these crazy ballot initiatives. So what you have on the ballot tomorrow is, an, it, right, is a ballot initiative, Prop 22. And that, what Prop 22 is trying to do, um, we've talked about this, is a law was passed last year to protect gig workers, and mm -hmm. Prop 22 will overturn that. Tell us, where did Prop 22 come from? I, I, I'd love to, I have been hearing all this crazy stuff about it. Who wrote this ballot initiative, and how much money are they spending on it? Well, Lyft and Uber wrote it and DoorDash and the other app-based delivery and uh, ride hail companies wrote this law and it just applies to them. It's not to the whole gig economy. It's just these two, you know, these two industries, which are new and innovative, but they're really not new or innovative. It's just a way um, to really pay drivers and, and delivery workers less and you know, create these really multi-billion dollar companies that extract, I mean, I, I look at receipts that I have, um, I'm making sometimes only 20% of a passenger's fare. Uh, so, so who wrote them was Lyft and Uber. Okay, and, and they wrote these, I mean, as I understand, right, you guys, as you were saying, you have built an enormous, you know, power base in California, and it was particularly important this year. I remember last time we talked, you know, how important it was in the face of the pandemic and all of these people being laid off, right, all, all of the unemployment. What, why are the companies so, you know, just convinced that they need to push this ballot initiative through? What exactly is going on there? Uh, they don't want to be subject to basic labor law anywhere. And it's happening in this country all over the place. Um, judges are making decisions all the time that drivers and delivery workers look more like employees than they do like independent contractors. And the only reason to classify somebody like me, a part-time driver as an uh, independent contractor is so that you don't have to pay into the safety net as the employer, so that you don't have to pay minimum wage laws. So you don't 
you know, you really have less regulation and paying the safety net. I mean, you brought up um, the pandemic. I mean, basically, um, 90%, you know, the, the rides dried up when the pandemic and the shutdown happened here in California, and drivers were left without anything. Um, we knew that under the law, that we were eligible for unemployment benefits, but the companies hadn't paid a penny into the fund. So when you called the unemployment office and said, hey, I don't have a job, um, the, 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 the um, unemployment office said, well, it says here you're an independent contractor. I'm sorry, you're not eligible. Now that changed when PUA happened, but we had to educate both the unemployment office as well as the state of California that we actually are eligible for unemployment benefits and um, ended up that most drivers got unemployment because the organizing we did. But now the companies, um, you know, basically owe the state $400 million for this. I mean, these are big numbers, right? Um, and and it's, it's a model uh, you know, it's it, the only thing that is different about uh, the way Lyft and Uber do the work is that they figured out how to skirt um, labor law. And we have to hold them accountable. We have to bring up not just Lyft, Lyft and Uber and DoorDash workers to, you know, basic labor law, but we have to lift that whole thing up because the truth is we really can't live on minimum wage and the benefits that labor law um you know, affords us anyway. We need to lift the whole bar. And if we let Lyft and Uber and DoorDash delivery workers off uh, this, we're, we're not gonna make it. So Prop 22 is their attempt to write their own labor law to exempt them from basic labor law. And they are spending, um, it's a historic high, $200 million on this campaign. I can tell you every time I turned on my TV, listened to the radio, opened my mailbox, opened my driver's app, there was an ad saying you have to vote yes on this proposition. Um, it, is, it is like the biggest anti-union campaign that you've ever been in. And it's um, targeting not just drivers and delivery workers, but the whole state of California. Um, what's really sad at this point is that 40% um, of the people polled who voted yes think they voted to support um, drivers having a better wage. Okay, so, so they have done such a good job with their propaganda. It is neck and neck right now. It's a nail biter. And, um, you know, if we win, and I'm counting on it, we have... I just got off a phone bank with like 40 volunteer drivers you know, still texting and calling, um, you know, voters saying, look, I'm a driver, this law is going to hurt me and turning people around and getting people to the polls. If we win, this is a huge victory of people and workers over $200 million worth of capital. So we're really, really um, keeping our fingers crossed. And, you know, we're going to be banner dropping tomorrow at both rush hours, getting people out to vote, because we think um, the higher the voter turnout, just like everything, it's going to help us. Fantastic. I think a couple of folks on here are jumping in. Uh, Patrick, did you want to? Hi, Nick. I'm pleased to hear from you. This is Patrick Dixon from Labor History Today. I just had a question. Uh, I've I, I've read stories of uh, DoorDash drivers having to deliver uh, packages and, and, and meals with proper get rid of the propaganda for the campaign on. You've just mentioned that uh, when you open the app, drivers themselves are encouraged to uh, vote in a particular way. Now I know 
uh, Uber and, and Lyft have, have, have always been companies that like to play by their own rules. But could you tell us a bit more about that? It seems it's not just a matter of turning on the TV or getting apps when you watch videos on YouTube. They've found all sorts of insidious ways of targeting people. Well, I mean, it's really hard because you turn on your app and the minute, you know, these are, you know, you guys may be uh, accustomed to the, the passenger app. Well, the driver app is similar, um, but you get the same level of doctrination, whether you open the passenger app or the driver app, you'll see, you know, um, it's good for drivers, it's good for passengers, vote yes. Um, you know, four out of five drivers want to keep their independence, vote yes, right? And, um, you know, it's just infuriating because, I mean, we are in a coalition of more than 50,000 drivers across the state. And while drivers would love their independence, it's a complete fantasy. So, um, you know, it's just not what we have. And we all know, having filled out wage claims with the Labor Commission of California, that we're owed a lot of money with just basic labor law, right? So, so um, I'm not sure exactly um, if that answers your question, but um, this is this is where we're at. It does. I think it shows in a way that, unlike the sort of previous adversaries we've had, though, when you're campaigning against tech companies and companies that, are in some ways, are sort of on the cutting edge of communication, it's a whole different set of rules. Yeah, there, there was a, they did a, like a little survey, you know, saying, you know, um, you know, click here to find out more about yes in the driver's app. And then some drivers reported that then the um, customer was actually, um, you know, given a screen that said, your, your driver supports 22, um, ask them why. And I just think that is so invasive and just it's just despicable and it's not fair. It's not a fair playing ground. Neither is the 200 million. When you think about, I mean, labor, and this is, you know, established unions that have a lot of money to spend in politics was only able to raise 15 million on this um, initiative. Um, so when you really think about how much they're outspending us, I mean, we cannot let the initiative process be a way that these billion dollar companies can rewrite labor law just for their own employees. Um, hey, I also Nicole? work in healthcare and they can deploy, deploy healthcare workers by app. Does that mean that healthcare workers will um, lose their rights? Hey, that's, that's a really good point, Nicole. And I know that we have to move on here in just a little bit, but uh, I've, got, I've got one more question. I'm to the north of you up in Washington state. This is a California initiative. Why should people who are, who are living outside California care about this initiative? Well, and that, I, it's, it's funny, that's just what I was saying. I think this can affect all jobs. Um, right now, I mean, we've seen, um, you know, the rights of people and our quality of living as working people go down and down and down over the past couple decades. Um, this is actually a way that tech is figuring out a way around even 
the low bar that is uh, current labor law. You know, and I, I am just uh, implore the labor community to say, you know, actually, let's raise the bar of, of labor as a whole and not let this happen where some people are under the bar of basic labor benefits. Um, you know, this is happening here, but this is exactly what Lyft and Uber's um, plan is around the world. I mean, they're, they're, um, they go in, they lobby heavily. The the um, the elected officials um, they try to woo um, you know social justice and labor organizations and they say we're great and they they start with high pay and low pricing for passengers and then as the market matures it goes just the other way and all of a sudden you have something that doesn't work for people and hurts communities so many of my colleagues have gone homeless or housing insecure because their pay just diminishes and diminishes, diminishes the longer they work in this work. So would you say it's fair to say that if this happens in California, if this passes, we could see duplicate bills starting to show up in states mm -hmm. around the country? We're already seeing it. They're already working at the federal level and in countries around the world. They are trying to uh, relieve industry of basic labor law. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are wishing you the best with that vote tomorrow. We're all gonna be watching and I know people around <laughs> yes. the world are watching as well. And maybe, maybe um, Wednesday night, I'll be able to get some sleep. <laughs> thank you everybody, a great opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Appreciate it. And thank you, Obama, for bringing us that report. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us, folks. We're going to move on. We've, uh, we're going to be, uh, this next segment is, uh, we're in a couple of different places uh, at the same time, in addition to uh, our, our anchors who are all over the country as well. Uh, I see uh, Jolene Libid from uh, United Teachers. Jolene, good to have you with us. You are also from California, if I'm not mistaken, although I'm not sure which uh, area. Um, uh, and then uh, Terry Melvin, of course, from my home state. Uh, Terry, I think, are you in the Albany area? Uh, I, my office is in Albany, but I'm in uh, out outside of Buffalo in Hamburg. Oh, even better. Rochester's my hometown, so there you oh, go. Oh, okay, yeah, closer. <laughs> Upstate New York, and I think Charlie uh, Charlie Fleming may be online uh, as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that looks like Charlie right there, and he is in uh, Georgia, which is appropriately colored blue in his background, Charlie. So <laughs> I'm liking that. Uh, Charlie Fleming, of course, president of the uh, Georgia State AFL-CIO. So welcome to you all. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Charlie, in the uh, hopefully uh, about to be uh, blue or bluish state of, of uh, Georgia. What uh, what's going on there? Oh, we're pretty excited here in Georgia. Uh, we think we got an opportunity to change this state for the first time in decades. Uh, the last time uh, a Democrat won our state was in '92 in Clinton's first cycle, uh, and uh, it's been uh, it's been truly remarkable what's been happening over the last couple of cycles, uh, and everybody's really excited. Uh, turnout has just been tremendous. Uh, the labor movement has been working its uh, you know what's off, and uh, everybody everybody is uh, from all the affiliates to uh, and 
and we just had the uh, the, uh, the situation in Washington. We've actually gotten help uh, these last couple of days from the Washington State uh, Federation of Labor. Uh, we've gotten help from Colorado. We've gotten help from Wyoming, uh, Tennessee, and uh, we've been making thousands and thousands of calls, uh, doing everything we know how to do. I just left a couple hours earlier uh, a rally with President Obama. Uh, so uh, it's been uh, truly, uh, truly remarkable the change that we've seen. Uh, within the last four days, we've had uh, President Biden. I mean, yeah, the new next President Biden. Uh, but uh, he's been to our, our city. Uh, his wife's been here a couple times. Kamala Harris has been here. And then, of course, today we had uh, uh, former President Obama. That's wonderful news. Uh, before I go on to, to, uh, to Terry, just uh, so uh, all the rest of the folks here are members of the uh, Labor Radio Podcast Network. I'm going to go on to Terry and then Jolene, and then we're just going to open it up to everybody because, um, you know, we're, we're all broadcasters. And so I know uh, these folks are going to have some questions for you guys as well. So, uh, Terry, let me just uh, jump over to you uh, up there in, in my home state uh, in New York State. Uh, Terry is the Secretary Treasurer of the New York State AFL-CIO, also President of the A. Philip Randolph Institute. Uh, Coalition of Black Trade Unions. Sorry? Coalition of Black Trade Unions. My bad, my bad. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, CBTU, the mighty CBTU. Um, how are we looking in, in New York State, Terry? Look, uh, Chris, we are looking fantastic in New York State. I mean, nobody would expect anything but blue, a deep blue. Uh, in New York State. I have spent most of my time over the last few months uh, working in battleground states and working with our Coalition of Black Trade Unionist uh, chapters uh, in battleground states. And I really believe that we have a great opportunity here uh, to have a true blue wave uh, in this country. However, I am cautiously optimistic, remembering what happened in 16 and, and where we all were in 16. Mm -hmm. It took me about a month to figure out I wasn't really in a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of those dreams that goes over and over again. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic. I believe that we are uh, staged uh, in a place in this country where uh, love will overtake hate uh, and division will be uh, looked upon in a way that uh, the current occupant of the uh, White House is definitely looking to divide this country. I believe this country is ready to come together. Uh, and I believe that the work that we're doing uh, in all the battleground states, I mean, we've got a situation out here where I believe uh, we will uh, get Pennsylvania. It will be tight, but we will win Pennsylvania. I believe that Georgia is in play, um, as Charlie said, which has not been in play for decades uh, for Democrats. I believe North Carolina is in play. Uh, as well as Ohio is back in play. I, I think we're looking at a whole different uh, uh, demographic and, and how we're looking at these elections. And I believe we got a damn good shot at Florida. And, oh. and if, if folks would have been, John, brother. John. let me tell you, if, if folks would have been paying attention to me t 10 years ago, Charles, uh, uh, Chris, uh, we would definitely have a blue Texas this year. I've been preaching Texas for a decade now oh, yeah. that we need to put oh, yeah. resources in yep. Texas and our union folks in Texas are doing an outstanding job uh, in Texas. And if it don't get blue, it's sure as hell gonna be purple when it's all over with. 
Well, I think Gene Lance would have to agree with you there, and I'm sure he's going to have some questions for you. For, uh, Brother Melvin, from your lips to God's ears is all I can say. All right, let's jump over uh, to back to Los Angeles and Jolene Libet, who is an uh, organizer uh, with the uh, United Teachers uh, in, uh, in LA, the UTLA, and also involved with uh, LADD. Uh, Jolene, what's happening where you are? Hi, everybody. So uh, similar to New York, LA is blue through and through. Um, but I think what might be a little bit different about this election cycle is that we are aggressively organizing in preparation for election theft. Yes. So we have 34,000 members over 933 school sites that they're split amongst, right, in, in LAUSD. And frankly, last weekend, no, excuse me, two weekends ago, we had an all steward meeting to get people ready to understand um, and share some of the same language around election theft, right, to inoculate our leaders around how to know that there's a problem everything from they stop counting votes to state electors are voting inconsistently with a popular vote, Trump declaring himself a winner before ballots are counted, everything that you all are also preparing for. Um, we brought up some good lessons from Florida in 2000 and we're preparing for mobilizations on the 4th and large, large mobilizations on the 7th. So here in LA, there are oh, about 72 organizations and unions working together to put this together. Um, I think that that's a good summary of where we're at. <laughs> uh, we know that our uh, sisters and brothers and Kasamas or comrades in other swing states are doing everything they can and putting everything on the line. And we see our responsibility in this in Taking, taking to the streets so that we could actually get all those votes that you're organizing for counted. Um, yeah, I, th yeah. I think that a lot of us, you know, frankly, as, as, uh, as, as Terry referred to, were sort of shell-shocked four years ago. And I, I, the thing that I've been hearing over is it ain't gonna happen again. You know, that is very clear, it is not gonna happen again. And so better say, I've been, we, we talked about this uh, among the, uh, the, the network members at the beginning of the show, you know, the, the hope is that this is a Y2K of an election and tomorrow night is just a landslide for Biden and, and we're all be moving on from that. Uh, but we want to prepare, prepare for the worst, hope for the best kind of a situation. All right, let me open it up to my uh, fellow network members here. Uh, not a shy group, as, as I'm sure. Uh, Harold, I see your hand up. All right, that puts you first. Well, yeah, um, Jolene's uh, mention of theft kind of brought to mind what Charlie's probably going through down there in Georgia. <laughs> we have been seeing the pictures that have been coming up from Georgia yeah. of people waiting in line for 11 hours at mm. some point. It's mm. crazy. What is labor doing down there in the Peach State uh, to help counteract some of this voter suppression that y'all are going through. Yeah, we're we're working with a lot of our uh, community organizations uh, and partners. Uh, many of you know of a lady named Stacy Abrams who ran for governor two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, who, quite honestly, should be the governor of Georgia right now. Uh, she lost by fifty thousand votes. Uh, there was a lot of voter suppression that went on during that uh, during that cycle. 
Well, she started a organization called Fair Fight, and uh, they have gone out in the last two years and registered another 200,000 uh, people. Uh, they have, uh, you know, so we, we're working with organizations like them. Uh, there's an organization, a state table called Pro Georgia, uh, and many other uh, coalition partners that uh, we're working with to prepare. And we are preparing for uh, some issues. Uh, and uh, starting with the polls tomorrow, we uh, we have been training uh, folks to uh, monitor the pro the polls. We've been training uh, folks to be de-escalators. Uh, you know, we're trying to educate folks about you know, who they should call when there is trouble in the polls. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, we're prepared. Uh, I don't, you know, we're hopeful, just like uh, Chris just said. Hopefully we're going to shock the world tomorrow and everything's going to go smoothly. Uh, but if not, we're, we're not going to take it. We're not going to stand by idle and uh, let this stuff happen. And we've got a network that's working to uh, come together, whether it's through communications, whether it's through the legal uh, areas, or uh, just getting into the streets and mobilizing, and, and we're preparing to do all of those things. Charlie, it's an amazing story because, I mean, that, that heartbreaker of a loss with the governor's race, I mean, where it was literally stolen out, you know, from under you, and I know you have, I think it's a secretary of state who is still causing you guys problems, right? Yeah, he is. Uh, of course, our governor was a former Secretary of State, so right. he was he was actually overseeing his own election, <laughs> which was, you know, only in Georgia, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, but uh, much to uh, what Terry said, and I want to thank Terry and the uh, Coalition Black Trade Unionists for the local chapters who've been working very hard with, with all of labor and, and our community partners on getting out the boat. Uh, everybody's been working extremely hard. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we'll see what happens. But I honestly believe for the first time in my career uh, that we have a chance uh, to, to flip Georgia. And, and for me, I'm getting toward a, towards the end of my career. Say it's and, not so, uh, Charlie. Say it's not so. <laughs> and after, you know, after, uh, uh, you know, we've taken it on the chin many a time. And it would be so wonderful for me to just kick uh, kick some butt. <laughs> That's exactly what I hope to do tomorrow. All right. Uh, Bama from the Gig Podcast, you're up next. Hi, I'm going to ask, uh, jump in and ask uh, Jolene a question. Thanks so much for joining us. And it's so great to see what you all are doing with the LABD and I mean, I think we all know, right? The vote count's going to take a while. It's not going to be over then, you know, on Tuesday night. So. Um, really curious about a couple things. First of all, we I'm seeing, you know, and I think a lot of us are seeing all these other organizations and some of the grassroots groups saying that they're going to get out and try and organize actions to protect the results. What can other groups be doing to connect effectively with you and with the labor movement and with the actions that you're planning for the fourth and the seventh? That's that's my first question. And my second question is, you know, remarkably, we're even starting to see a few sort of, you know, limp-wristed statements from the business community saying, oh, we must, you know, make sure we count every vote. Is there any, um, you know, strategy you might suggest that we can do to pressure biz even the business side to come out a little more strongly on that? Well, those are really great questions. Um, so anyone that wants to join the LA mobilizations, which, which are called Defend Each Other and Demand Democracy, 
um, can literally go to protect the results and sign up for like a mobilized email. You know, basically you're putting yourselves on the list and we'll be getting all the no notifications of the actions. So that's, that's been really good for protect the results. Uh, folks that want to join the coalition organizationally, you can also just email me, just jlevid at utla.net, uh, jlevid at utla.net. Um, and it's a really diverse, it's a, I mean, it's LA and it's really, really diverse uh, set of organizations, unions, the Trans Latina Coalition, Black Lives Matter LA, um, undocumented organizations. I mean, there's just, people are really coming together in a way that I, I, I haven't seen since May Day of 2018, to be honest. Um, so those are, those, are, those are the ways to get involved. Um, in terms of putting pressure on businesses, um, I think it, that's a stay tuned, right? Because we absolutely plan on escalating if, if this is not won by that weekend, then I think that the groups are all committed to hitting the streets until we win. Um, and we're not going to be using the same tactics every time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I think it's in everyone's interest to, to join the mobilizations, including businesses and especially small businesses. Um, so that's, that will be my answer for that one. Uh, so protect the results. You can join um, our, our like mailing group. You can email me jlivid at utla.net. Um, and we're welcoming everyone to the strategy table for this one. We'll try and get uh, all of those links into the uh, chat. Uh, Tanya, we'll take one more question from uh, Tanya Hutchins. She's with Activate Live from Machinas. Go ahead, Tanya. My question is for Terry Melvin. I know that four years ago, I ran into a lot of young people who didn't think their vote would matter and they didn't vote. And I'm hearing different things now, which is encouraging to me, but I know that you have an under 40 committee. What are you hearing among young CBTU members and people that you're out making outreach to? Well, uh, we've done a lot of work, uh, Tanya, with the uh, under 40 group and letting them basically take the lead on how we deal with this. Uh, we started out in this election uh, after we had our candidates uh, and as you probably know, CBTU, for only the third time in our 50-year history, uh, did an endorsement in a presidential race uh, for Biden. Um, we had to sit down with our under 40 and listen to them, first of all, to see what their issues are. And they just weren't feeling, they, they, they could not stand Trump, but they were not feeling any Democratic candidate, okay? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they were just like warm and fuzzy all over um uh, over biden uh but they do get that they have to get trump out of the white house so you know my direction to them was hey use whatever you can to talk to folks in your age range to get them to understand that this this election is not about us that have been around for 20 30 or 40 years in this movement but this election is about our children is about them our grandchildren is gonna be coming after them. And if they want a more just society, then they have to pick the candidate that was gonna get them to that next level where they wanted to be. So what, what we've seen is a, a, a more a cohesiveness among them. And I think they're more willing to, to come together 
uh, to do the right thing in the election. Um, it, it was clear, if, we, if, I, if I had this conversation with you four months ago, I would have been shaking in my boots, not knowing what was gonna happen. But I'm pretty clear right now uh, that the uh, young under 40 groups that we're dealing with, uh, the young black uh, folks that we're dealing with, they get it. And they know the importance of, if they, whether they are putting it for, we're against Trump, or we're looking forward to our future, either one of them are getting to us where we want to go, which is they're voting for Biden, they're voting for Democrats, they're voting for unity going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry and uh, Jolene and Charlie. Thank you so much, not just for being with us tonight, which really appreciate it, but I know all of you have been working your asses off. Hey, this is Facebook, we can say what we want. Uh, you have been working your asses off. Uh, fair warning, we're probably going to want to check in with you tomorrow night and see how this is actually playing out uh, on the ground on Election Day. But we really appreciate you being with us tonight. Keep up the fight. Thank you Thank so you. much for having us. Appreciate it. All right. Just call, you, Chris. Chris. You know, we're here for you. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Same here. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Next up, we're going to go to, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's snowing up in Minnesota. Am I, am I right, Shireen? Um, not today, but it has been off and on for the past week. So I'm, I'm it's supposed to actually be beautiful tomorrow. I'm, I'm from upstate New York, so I know winter arrives early up, up in that area. So uh, where exactly are you in Minnesota? I'm in Minneapolis. Okay. All right. Well, if you're going to be in Minnesota, that's the place to be. And, and uh, we can see by your shirt that you are, of course, with AFSCME, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Uh, what is happening in Minnesota? Well, it is a pretty uh, busy and dynamic time. Um, we actually... Uh, going into the elections have kind of three initiatives that I wanted to share. One is just efforts to protect the vote. Um, second is um, efforts to defend the will of the people. And third is to put forward um, demands uh, kind of regardless of what the outcome is. And so, um, you know, there have been a lot of threats that um, have come down about intimidation of voters, um, trying to make sure that people are afraid of voting, et cetera, particularly in black and brown and low-income white communities. And um, uh, SEIU Local 26, which represents janitors um, and security um, kind of building, uh, building services, has actually done a pretty massive effort that they're coordinating with over 100 members and allies to defend the vote tomorrow. So they'll be out in um, polling places around uh, around the metro area to make sure that um, to make sure that people can go and vote in person and that they'll feel safe, that they'll be able to to get there and cast their vote. So um, so that's one effort that that's going on. And then um, we also have a number, a couple of different protests that are coming up. Um, the first of which is on Wednesday, the fourth, the day after the elections. Um, we have a, a, a very large demonstration that's been called as a national day of action to defend uh, to defend the vote. Right? We want to make sure that um, that Trump is absolutely defeated and that that his uh, his supporters that there can't be any question about that. Um, and so there is a coalition that's come together with over 30 organizations um, 
there are uh, a number of different unions, including my union, that are participating in it, that have called for um, called for a protest and really putting forward a people's mandate around it. Again, we want to make sure that that um, the vote is respected, but also to put forward kind of demands uh, that we have, regardless of what the outcome might be, because we know that that um, we need to change who's in the White House, but really change happens in the streets. And so um, community groups and unions have come together. And these are a lot of groups that actually came into being or um, uh, started working really closely together in the aftermath, the uprising after George Floyd's murder. Um, my union, I work at the University of Minnesota and we have hundreds of members um, who are in the neighborhoods that were most impacted by the uprising. I live six blocks from where George Floyd was murdered. Um, the issue, issues of um, racist police violence is, is really a, a critical issue that we have to take a stand around. And so, so a, a number of unions and um, community organizations, Black Lives Matter, others have come together and really put forward a demand around the elections. Um, there will also be a protest happening on Saturday um, that brings together a whole, uh, a, a whole other grouping of nonprofit and uh, community organizations and unions to kind of keep the pressure going. And we're going to continue putting, putting um, people in the streets saying that, that we demand real change. Um, we, need to, we need to make sure that people's vote is respected, but we also need to make sure that, again, regardless of what the outcome is, um, that we're putting forward an agenda that working people really need. People, working class folks need to need to unite and fight. So that's what's happening in Minnesota in a in a long-winded nutshell. That's a it's a good nutshell. We like that. Uh, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh, preference to uh, Bama and Tanya and uh, Harold just because I know that they have to step away at the top of the hour. So uh, if any of you guys have uh, anything for Shireen or general comments. Uh, I'm going to give you a shot. Uh, Tanya, why don't you go first if you got, uh, got anything for us? Um, I would just like to say that I cannot believe that there are still people in this day and age who are not going to vote. I'm hoping that <laughs> is a much smaller percentage, um, but the work that we do um, in the labor movement is so important when we're phone banking. I know we don't have the traditional door knocking that we have this year, um, but we're still doing lit drops. At least we're doing that with the Machinist Union. Um, and I think it's going to pay off. I, I'm very hopeful. And I know that there are people that we can't persuade out there, but the people that are persuadable, um, I'm very hopeful that we are getting through. So this can be a turning point uh, this year. Um, and any young person out there that is listening and is, and is on the fence, you know, keep researching, keep listening. If you're listening to us right now, your vote matters. It really can improve your life and it does have an effect on your life. So I think goodness for the labor movement. Um, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And I'm just so appreciative of everyone on this call and everyone who has tuned in uh, for all of the work that you do. So hopefully we will be celebrating tomorrow night. Thank you, Tanya. Tanya Hutchins, she is with the Activate Live podcast from the Mighty, the Mighty Machinist. Uh, Bama, over to you from the uh, gig podcast. I uh, just, you know, I think I'm going to be back with you tomorrow. So we've got more to come and I hope we will have more stories from around the country as well. I think it's been great to hear, you know, just a few of our, our you know, labor friends from different parts of the country, even in the, in the past half hour. Um, and uh, Shireen, you know, I'd be interested if you have a minute or two to comment on 
what's going on in terms of local or state races as well. I think we tend to forget because we're also mm -hmm. focused on the top of the ballot, but uh, you build power from the bottom up, right? So you need the local offices to, you know, to all be with us as well. So I, I think that's just great to, you know, to be able to hear what people are doing to fight and win in those local races too. Yeah, I would say so locally. Well, here in Minnesota, um, we do not have the governor's race um, this year. So it is kind of a uh, number of municipal races, but really more at the state legislature. Um, the the House is controlled by the, the DFL, the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. The um, Senate is controlled by the Republicans on a narrow margin of just a couple of votes. And, and our goal is to be able to flip that so we we can put forward some real agendas. Um, Minnesota actually has the highest voter turnout in the country, has for the, I think, the last 10 years. Um, and we are continue to have that as a goal every year. We want to make sure that more and more people vote. And it's really, I agree, it's about it's about the down ballot races. Um, it's about making sure that, uh, you know, folks like Ilhan Omar, who was a member of my union, um, and a proud U of M AFSCME member uh, um, came up through the state legislature uh, before uh, getting into office um, uh, in Congress. And so we want to make sure that we're putting forward candidates at the local levels as well. Uh, Harold, I'm going to do, a, do sort of a tag team of Harold and Shannon uh, from, from the same show, from the same area, and will also be uh, uh, leaving us at the top of the hour. So you guys come up a coin and decide who goes first. Well, we talk over each other all the time. I just <laughs> exactly. edit that out. So, um, Shireen, I just really wanted to thank you for making the time to uh, come on and tell the rest of the country what's going on in Minnesota. I used to live in the Twin Cities area myself in White Bear Lake. And so I know uh, just how important voting and civil life is in that part of the country. But I also know how entrenched some people can be in that part of the country and how making change there can be tremendously difficult. So my hat is off to you and to all the young people in the Twin Cities who are out there doing their best to make a difference and to move that needle. Um, ask me strong, stay ask me strong, man. All right, we'll do. Shannon? There she is. We're, we're, we're gonna give you the last word, Shannon. <laughs> Which Harold never does, right? It doesn't happen. Shannon's got a secondary mute on her headset, which oh. I think is on. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is such a rookie move. That's okay. I can handle the disgrace. I can handle it. No, no, no. It. It's all good. It's all uh, good. That's, that's why you pay Harold the big bucks, right? Yeah. Well, he's sag after, baby. We got to pay go. living wages, retirement benefits, all the good stuff. Final word vote, 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 vote. Um, we actually had Mark Riker, who is our executive secretary treasurer of the Washington State Const Building and Construction Trades Council on our last show. And he was telling all of our Washingtonian friends, you know, please, please vote because we have people in other states who do not have the luxury of mail-in voting. And it is our requirement that we should be doing our our right to vote because it's so easy for us so for all of those people all over the nation who are standing in line 
who are, uh, you know, waiting hours, who are tracking down their ballots, who are making sure people are getting the votes in. Thank you so much. Keep it up. We have 24 hours. But who's counting, right? <laughs> I am. I have been counting right. for days and days and days. All right. Well, thank you, Shireen. And, and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing and taking time to be with us. Uh, Shireen is president of Ask Me Local 800. That's the University of Minnesota Clerical Workers. Make the world go round. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you so much, Shireen. Keep up the great work. Uh, thanks, of course, to Shannon, Shannon to Harold. Uh, to Bama and to Tanya. Uh, if we don't see you later tonight, I know we will see you tomorrow. So, uh, and all our viewers stick around. We're not going anywhere. Uh, Evan, I think you might have an Ask Me video queued up for us, right? Yes, I do. And I will. All right. Let's, uh, let's roll that and I'll be able to get a glass of water. <laughs> all right. Here I go. All year long, we have been there for our communities, even when things were at their toughest, no matter the risk, even under life and death conditions. But through it all, we haven't had the leaders we deserve. We have the power to change that on November 3rd. We can choose a president who respects our service, who is worthy of our sacrifice, who will stop the layoffs and furloughs. This is a moment made for Joe Biden. He will stick his neck out for working people because he understands in his gut the challenges we face every day. He has a long history of uniting people around shared values. He is a seasoned leader with the temperament to pull Americans together in challenging, uncertain times. We've never needed integrity in the White House more than we do now. Vote for Joe Biden, who will bring to his job as president the same character and decency that you bring to yours.